All right, folks, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, Lord, we do come before you uh, today. Thank you for this glorious day that you have made. We understand that it's warm outside and we're thankful for that, Lord. Thank you uh, for allowing the sun and the rain and the moon and your beautiful creation to keep us and affect us and to maintain us, Lord. And we understand that everything is governed under your providence, Lord. So we thank you for your sovereign hand this morning. We pray that you'd bless our study, Lord. Give us wisdom and insight into your word as we, as we study to show ourselves approved as workmen that do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I wanted today to continue to talk about uh, what we talked about last week, which was biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, uh, because I just think this is an issue that's so important. You know, um, on Red Grace Radio, we, I mentioned that part of my advice on how to respond to the culture that is really, obviously, uh, now just bombarding uh, the Christian church with, you know, the whole homosexual thing, gay Christianity, all of that that's going on is that pastors need to be more intentional about what, the way they teach their churches. I said even maybe a whole Sunday school needs to be devoted to a whole series of you know interacting with that whole subject. Well, that's not what I'm doing here. We're just going through systematic theology, uh, and we're on the on the doctrine of man. And uh, but I just I thought we'd take another uh, look at what the Bible has to say about the biblical uh, roles of male and female in scripture and what it means to be created by God, male and female in his image. So once again, turn to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter five, Genesis chapter five. Now we already looked at last week. We talked a little bit about the redemptive significance of being in the image of God. The fact that the reason why God created us in his image has everything to do with the gospel and the idea that God's glory is reflected in the image of man being both male and female and that God created man in his image in order so that his son could assume human nature one day and redeem his people. Uh, but now I just want to talk specifically dealing on this whole issue of uh, biblical manhood and womanhood. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in, his like, in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. He named them man. And in the day that they were created, now remember that word there, man, comes from the Hebrew word Adam. Adam, which is Adam's name, Adam. But it also speaks about the fact that, uh, you know, Adam was, uh, you know, was given this leadership role, that he was to lead himself and his wife and was, in a sense, to uh, uh, have dominion over all of creation. That was a role that was assigned to him by God. Now, Grudem has a very helpful section in his systematic theology, and he points out different... Um, different ways, different significances, or different points of importance of why it's important for man to be created male and female and how that reflects the image of God. And the very first thing is that man, by being created male and female, is in a, uh, oh, sorry. Nobody brought my eraser? I can't. Somebody want to throw that to me back? I think it's back there. 
Okay, so I'll just redo this while you guys are on an Easter egg hunt over there. Man is in a is a relational being like God. Oh, there we go. <laughs> All right. I know it's somewhere. But, oh, that was really good. Um, so it just means that man is capable of relating to one another. I mean, think about it. When God. Um, when God does whatever he does, he does everything in the context of community. Uh, everything about God is relational, right? Uh, what is the most primary form of God existing in relationship that you can think of? Huh? Nice and loud, the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, the Trinity, that's right. That's right. So the fact that God is triune already presupposes that there is a relational aspect of God. Um, and we are relational. I mean, think about when we're saved. When you and I were taken out of Adam and put into Christ, God takes us out of the world, right? And, um, and he puts us into the context of the local church. He doesn't save us and then leave us on a deserted island somewhere with a Bible, right? I mean, man could survive, you know, fellowship with God. I mean, we can make, you know, but the, the ideal is that God would put man in a proper community, in a proper context. Um, I like what Grudem says. Let me read to you a quote by Wayne Grudem. He says, The fact that God created two distinct persons, male and female, rather than just one man, is part of our being in the image of God because it can be seen to reflect, to some degree, the plurality of the persons within the Trinity, within the Godhead. That's right. And... Um, this is why, and this has everything to do, as we're going to talk about here in a moment, but this has everything to do, right, with what God designs marriage to be, right? He designs marriage to be a reflection of his own nature. Think about that. So male and female uniquely reflect the nature of God. And God says, how can I give, how can I put in the created order, how can I put a reflection of my own nature and he says, I will create man, and I will create woman, and I will make them one flesh. They will be one flesh, right? I will join them together. And this, male and female, is what God says reflects the image of God. It wasn't, obviously, male and male that would reflect the image of God. That, that, that breaks down, doesn't it? Because there's, then there's no distinction in that relationship. The it would be as if the Trinity consisted of the Father, the Father, and the Father, <laughs> okay, or something like that. But no, I think that male and female represents the different and distinct persons within the Godhead. Yes, sir. The question then, the husband will represent Christ, and the wife represents the Father of the church. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's a different analogy. That's right. I'm just simply trying to point out the plurality, right, and the distinction of the persons that God made. But that's right. Another aspect of male and female and the covenant of marriage reflects what God was doing in the, in the church and in the gospel. Ultimately, it's a gospel issue. We'll get to that. That's a good point. You know? But Grudem points out that you know, there are different uh, significances of this, and one of them is reflected in our physical union. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2, excuse me, verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. 
And I, it always just, it always never ceases to amaze me how much theology comes back to Genesis. Who was, who was I talking to about that recently? Yes. Was it the guys yesterday at the men's yeah. study? Yeah. So much theology comes back to the book of Genesis. It's just amazing. So foundational for the faith. But there it says, for this reason, verse 24, man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so there, the physical union of man being very important to what it means for man to be created in the image of God and how God designed uh, this union to be. It was to be a physical union where they literally become one flesh, one flesh. Obviously, through the consummation of their marriage, through their intimacy, male and female becomes one flesh. And this is what God has designed. Um, who can become one flesh according to the Bible? Only one man and one woman in the context of marriage. I mean, notice that he says he will be joined to his wife. I mean, already in primeval history, which is what um, theologians refer to Genesis chapter 1, I think going all the way up until... Eleven, the Tower of Babel, that's right before the patriarchal history, you have the primeval history, and already you have God establishing uh, this major societal norm in the created order, in this decree that he ordained called marriage. So in God's wisdom, which I know the world tries to think they have superseded God's wisdom now, but God's in God's wisdom, only male and female constitute a marriage. Man can only be said to have a wife. Man cannot be said to have a husband. A woman cannot be said to have a wife. I mean, this is just ABCs of Christianity, right? But it's amazing that we have to spell it out to the culture. We have to, um, we have to argue the obvious which is just unbelievable. And this is so relevant. But so there's that physical union that displays the image of man. And there's also an emotional and a spiritual union. Uh, Jesus said um, there's a spiritual bond. Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 6. Um, I can just read it to us. It says, so they are no longer two. This is Jesus' view of marriage, which was the same as Moses' view, which is the same as Genesis' view. God's view in the beginning is so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, there's a sacred bond that exists in the covenant of marriage that man is not to separate. Um, another reason why this is so important is because we might say, well, you know, marriage is on, you know, is being assaulted today because of the rise of, of, of homosexuality. And that's absolutely right. But it's more than that. Can I read you guys something that, 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 that I read as I was um, listening to the Albert Moeller program? Uh, he, he led me, it led me to an article um, uh, on Breitbart, uh, the website Breitbart, uh, where the State Department honors an advocate of the destruction of marriage itself. Uh, Masha Gesen, who was invited uh, was invited to the White House to have a gay pride celebration. She's allowed to speak, okay, the highest levels of government. And this is what she says. She spoke and she said this, I agree 
that we should have the right to marry, speaking of homosexuals. She says, but I also think equally that it is a no-brainer that the institution of marriage should not exist. Fighting for gay marriage generally involves lying about what we're going to do with marriage when we get there because we lie that the institution of marriage is not going to change. That is a lie. The institution of marriage is going to change, and it should change. And again, I don't think it should even exist. This is being spoken at the highest levels of our government, and people applauding and, you know, celebrating, and she spoke so winsomely. I mean, this is almost staggering, right? Uh, the Breitbart article went on to say this. Gesen talks about the complicated nature of her own family structure. Uh, get ready for this. She says, quote, we have three kinds. She says, excuse me, we have three kids, five parents. Apparently, she's in a polyamory relationship, more or less. I don't see why they shouldn't have five parents legally. She says her own brother is the father of her second wife's daughter. I'll let you untangle that. You know? Uh, Gassan was honored by the State Department on the day that thousands marched into Washington in support of, of man-woman marriage. It is, likely that, it is likely they and many other Americans would not see Gassan for the hero of the Obama administration. Okay, so that's Breitbart taking a shot back. But think about that. I mean, I just quote that, not to get all political on us, but just to show us this is our context. We're not talking about you know, 30 years ago, you know, Francis Schaeffer prophesying about what Christianity would be like in the 21st century. He's not talking, you know, we're not talking about, you know, the predictions of Walter Martin and, you know, you know, the John Ankerberg show in the 70s and 80s. This is our life now. We are living in a time right now where the entire idea of marriage itself is being assaulted, being threatened to be disintegrated, that it should not exist. Um, and you know what? I think she's right. As far as her worldview goes, why should marriage exist? In a postmodern world, what is marriage? Why do we need it? Who cares about one man, one woman? Who cares about one man, four women? Who cares about any relationship you can think about? In a postmodern world, who gets to decide what are the final parameters, right? The LGBTQ movement is a grossly hypocritical movement because who says LGBT is the end of the story? What about LGBTI, incest? What about LGBTIP, pedophilia? What about LGBTIPPP, polyamory? I mean, where does it end, right? Brother Scott. Why do you think, you know, society as a whole is embracing Because the gay and lesbian percentage of the population is so small. Why do you think it's embraced so much by the culture as a whole? Or seemingly that way? Is it because they can excuse their fornication? Like you're talking about embracing and take it to the nth degree, you know, the fornication to whatever level? Or why do you think that, you know, the Chase Banks of the world, the government, all these different corporations are embracing and celebrating, you know, kind of the lesbian and gay. I don't think it's money. Yeah, it very well could be subsidiary. You know, th there's all sorts of motives, money, power, influence, you know, political reasons. There's all of that. But I just chalk it up to Ephesians chapter 2, 
they follow the course of this world, the spirit of the age. You know what I mean? They're, what's that? They hate Christ at the end of the day, and ultimately, you know, First John chapter five verse twenty, they're under the influence of the evil one. They do his bidding, according to Timothy. They're enslaved to the devil to do his will. You know, and so we should not be surprised no, that this is the direction. The, the statistic that eighty to ninety percent of the people actually believe in God. Right. Exactly. What kind of God do they believe in? Right. And cultural Christianity is not helping us at all. At all. You know. Um, yes, ma'am. Well, I was just going to say, like, you know, Todd Crail says, darkness loves darkness. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, of course they go that route. And when she, when you were reading that quote, she said something like, "I think." She kept saying, I think. Of course. So what she's done is she's made a God in her own image. She sued herself about her own imagination, one that doesn't exist. And it yeah. violated the, the law. Right. right, that's right. So, I mean, you know, Genesis really challenges uh, the worldview that you have, you know. Not just, uh, you know, I think for too long we've looked at Genesis as an apologetic against evolution. And rightly so, it can serve that purpose. But it's so much more than that. It's a whole total worldview shift here. Genesis presents us with biblical Christianity. The only alternative to biblical Christianity, according to Satan, is to think on your own, which is humanism. So, you know, remember um, that under humanism, man is the measure of all things. Man is self-sufficient, autonomous. Man is the determiner of his own destiny, right? He makes up the rules. It's a, you know, totalitarian argument you know it's a it's it's just a fading dream of some utopian vision that they have that will never happen and god will always according to the bible god will always psalm 2 frustrate the nations no matter what they do no matter how many towers of babel they try to build they will always be finally ultimately doomed to confusion i mean look at the un what a what a circus right they're all sitting around with little apparatuses in their ear trying to understand each other's language and then when they do understand each other's language they don't agree with each other I mean it's just utter chaos but that's the way that we know the world is going to be right I mean it's not surprising to Christians it's like of course this is the way yes sir well, I just want to add a little bit whatever uh, the God of this age is using no military strategies called divide and conquer and that's basically what's going on divide and conquer mankind and God yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's ultimately, a, you know, two kingdoms, right? The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. That's it. Yeah. That's right. And these things are not, this is not a perfect duality. Right? This is not dualism. It's not like the Satan and God are fighting it out. Who's going to win? <laughs> right? It's already been won. Well, we have the book of Revelation. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is what I love about the Bible. You know, it tells us how the world's going to end. We don't try to figure it out ourselves. What's going to happen? Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 19. You know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. And then you debate what kind of view, you know. <laughs> Revelation 20, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you think maybe, years and years ago, the church gave everything over to the government? Marriage and education and all this stuff. We don't have, you know, we don't take care of that stuff anymore in our own faith. Who controls? Where do you go to get your marriage? Do you go to the government? You don't go to the church, you go to the government. Mm -hmm. education the government everything we gave everything away to the government yeah yeah absolutely I think all of that has a big part in it you know what I mean definitely definitely yeah. yes sir you know what I think is so important about that quote that you read from that lady in the White House is that yeah 
I think just talking about doing a whole class just on the homosexual issue, like to protect the church, is that, remember like when the Jars of Clay guy came out saying, I don't see... There's an update on that. About this <laughs> quote, in relevance to the quote. Jars of Clay. Okay, well, like what he was saying is, I don't hear anybody, I don't see how this is going to affect our marriage. You know what I mean? Like That's with homosexuality exactly right. coming out. But yeah. the quote you just read is the exact argument that right. this is destroying marriage. Right. And that's why we should yeah. be worried about it. We can't just let them, you know. Great minds think alike, brother. Because I just know? made that <laughs> I just made that connection on Red Grace because okay. uh, jars of clay, right? Rob, give us the lowdown. Okay. <clears throat> so I know you're itching um, the... <laughs> uh, the organization GLAD, uh, which is for homosexual rights and advocacy, uh, has come out with some new information, well, somewhat new, that that the singer of this supposed Christian band, Dan Hasseltine, uh, yes, um, is is not against homosexuals getting married. He's he's actually affirming uh, the organization. He's an ally of Gladnow. Correct. Openly. And um, it's funny because a lot of Christians are having trouble with how they should feel about it. They would condemn homosexuality. They would say absolutely. But is it a Christian's job to to be against organizations like this? And this was a comment on on our feed yesterday through Red Grace Media on social media, where they're like, are, you know, what's the next step? Are we going to go and you know picket drunkards? Are we going to uh, start an organization against um, blaspheming God's name? Uh, you know, are, are we going to be doing this? How, how far will does this logic actually go? And I'm noticing that this is a very confusing topic for people who yeah. seemingly love the Lord, um, but they're confused on how to react to such things like this. Either they're confused or they're actually their theology is, is different, would be different maybe a little bit than mine. Because what you're sound like, some of what you said sounded like the theology of the two kingdoms. Which two kingdom theology is very, very prominent right now in the Reformed world. You know, and that is that there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God in which God's law and God's ethics apply. And then there's the kingdom of this world, which we should, even as Christians, we should not expect nor superimpose on the kingdom of this world. So we should not expect the world, the culture, to abide by God's laws in any way, shape, or form. So it's almost a futile thing to even take the law of God and try to apply it to what the culture is doing. Which, you know, I don't know how that jives with Romans chapter 5. I mean, uh, Acts chapter 5, the apostles. Is like a dispensational view of... Things are just getting bad, bad, bad. Just well, no. Well, well, most, from my understanding, most two kingdom guys are not post-millennial, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't have a positive view of the future. They'd, they'd probably have a negative view of the future too. But it's kind of a different conversation. They're just saying that basically, like the Christian jurisdiction is limited to the church. We shouldn't want the Bible in schools. We shouldn't want the Ten Commandments in the courts. You know, things like that. You know, like Christians are basically fighting for the wrong things at that point, which that's that's the polar opposite of what we call like theonomy, which would call for a total application of the law of God in society. You know, even the civil even the civil laws. You know, yes, sir. Is that kind of like one prayer in school, but you don't know who's going to control that prayer in school? You know, whether like mm -hmm. Muslim get out and say a prayer, or whether somebody else. Those are kind of the arguments that they use. They say, look, <laughs> remember, you know what's you know, once you once you go this direction, you know what I mean, and you start introducing Christian, you know, motifs in the culture like prayer, you know what I mean. Um, don't expect for the culture to discriminate and say, well, we're only going to limit to Christian prayer. 
You know, what about the Wiccan? Can they get up and do a seance? You know, or whatever they do. You know, can they get up and do can a Satanist kid get up in class and do a black mass? They did it, Princeton or Yale? What was it? Harvard. It Harvard. Was, it was Harvard. They did a black mass at Harvard. You know, in commemoration of Satanism. Yes, ma'am. Isn't one of the easier answers that it's hard once you know somebody personally who's come out of the closet to uh, now it's personal, mm -hmm. and so you you have your theology, but this is your best friend. Or it's your dad who came out of the closet, or it's your cousin who came out of the closet. And once it's relational, it's hard to be in relation with people and also deal with your theology because you don't want to hurt people. Right. You don't want to destroy relationships. And so what's happening now is that they're now that people are coming out of the closet in droves, uh -huh. everybody's starting to know somebody. And so in some ways they're winning, if that can be the word, because now it's starting to become personal for everybody. It, yeah, it's it's accepting quite a few things. You know, one of the things that it's accepting is a reductionistic approach to Christianity, which basically just says, look, we need to deconstruct Christianity, you know, and rid it of all of its dogmas except one, love. So it's like a deconstruction and a reconstruction of what Christianity's message is. Forget the gospel. We just need the narrative of love, okay, which is exactly what Glad brought up in their article with Hasseltine is that this is, look, Christianity is just about love. That's it. Anything further than that is personal conviction. Keep it to yourself, you see? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that complicates the issue, but it doesn't take away <laughs> the burden for the Christian to be a light, you know, and salt in a dark world. Uh, real quick, uh, and I'll get to you in a second, real quick, um, turn to J uh, John chapter 7, uh, just to, you know, because me is like, Whatever view I adopt, you know, cultural issues are difficult. You know, these parameters, which way you're going to go, you know, on the spectrum of theonomy and two kingdoms and, you know, Puritanism, which was pretty much theonomic, you know, depending on where you're going to go with that, okay, I mean, is one thing. But I just want to be exegetical, you know, just stick to the Bible. You know, look at John chapter 7. And then I'll make another statement about the prophets. But John chapter 7, beginning of verse... Um, oh boy, verse five, right? For some a little bit of context. Um, let's see here. Yeah, for not even his brothers were willing were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, "My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you." That's talking to his unbelieving brothers, Jesus' physical brothers, and it says, "But it hates me. Why? Well, because." I testify of it that its deeds are evil. So Jesus on Larry King Live would be testifying the problem with the world is that its deeds are evil. That's the problem. That's why we're diametrically opposed and we cannot have any fellowship with darkness in that sense. We can't join in the celebration of something evil. There are all moral things, right? Um, even taxes. I mean, Jesus said, pay taxes to Caesar. And the degree of separation. Well, Jesus, don't you know what Caesar's going to do with those taxes? He's going to build the Colosseums. Don't you know what they do in the Colosseums? He's going to use that money to fund Christian persecution. Don't you know what they... Hey, render to Caesar what Caesar's, right? So you've got to grapple with that parameter too, you know? That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, there's certain things in the Word of God that seem to indicate there's a point at which the Christian 
can only go so far before he enters into a decision for civil disobedience. What would be some of those things? Not allowed to preach the gospel anymore. Acts chapter 5. You know, if the government says, Pastor Emilio, you must be quiet. Don't no longer speak of sin and, and, and homosexuality. Be quiet or we're going to put you in handcuffs. Well, Y'all be visiting me in my jail ministry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, ma'am. So what do you think about a baker, a Christian baker, that's going on right now with a few bakeries. Some of them have shut down already. Um, but they don't want to bake cake for a gay couple for their wedding. Yeah. But what do you think about that? Because I think I've heard someone say, I don't know um, that it's okay to bake it, but, you know, yeah. share the gospel with them. And I'm like, well, is that a contradiction? That's a good question. That actually, that question came up at the Shepherds Conference last year. We were there, and there was all sorts of diverse opinions on that issue. And I, one thing's for sure: Christian conscience kicks in. You know what I mean? We cannot condemn you for wanting to build, you know, bake the cake for evangelistic purposes, but we also can't condemn, you know, Chris next to you who says, "I can't." You know, for the sake of God's glory and the purity of His will and kingdom, I, I can't do it. Let them, you know, if they're going to punish me for not participating then that's his conscience and we cannot infringe on his the freedom of his conscience to do that you know what i mean i think i think the line has to be drawn on you know when are they asking you to personally and immediately celebrate and participate in their sin you know is that what you were going to say yeah, scott I think now you're shaking your head you were raising your hand now you're shaking your head so i mean i agree i think you know because we are called to be in this world right now. I mean, we are. We, yes, sir. I mean, they say we're not going to interact or perform any type of work function to provide for our family because you're interacting with someone in the world there. I think it ends up becoming a conscience issue, like what you said. Unless they're asking you to explicitly participate or sin yourself, I think it becomes more of a conscience issue than a black and yeah. white issue. I mean, for example, um, the Apostle Paul, what, what was his trade? Ten million. Okay, a Roman comes up to him and says, you know, you know, Paul, you know, <laughs> we need 10 tents, you know, we're going to use them for our celebration of ISIS. You know, we're going to have a potluck in honor of Artemis or something like that, right? Zeus. As Paul says, oh, then I can't make your tent. I don't know. You know knowledge changes a lot, though. If Roman just asks for the tent, he's not the wiser, right? But if he tells him when he's going to do with it, it kind of changes the consequences. But yeah. the knowledge does just like yeah. changes. I mean, you know, the yeah. word of God. At that point, it's like a service yeah. you're providing, but you're not necessarily condoning what's being done with the service you provided. Right. I mean, if you own a liquor store, you're not going to have alcohol? Maybe some Christian would say, no, he wouldn't. Okay. But I personally wouldn't condemn the Christian that says, I'm going to carry alcohol. Because according to the Bible, there's a way to drink to the glory of God. Or you don't get drunk. Now, if you buy my alcohol and go home and get drunk with it and beat your wife, and that's on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't be held responsible because I sell legally and rightly and, you know, with a clear conscience, sell alcohol. So it's just those distinctions, you know. Those are hard issues, guys. I don't know that I have all the answers. Just ask Todd for you. I don't know that he has all the answers. <laughs> yeah, I know he does, but I don't know that he has all the answers either. I mean, these are hard, you know, these are hard cultural philosophical issues. But I think it's, it's good to address because all of us face it, whether yeah. we're, you know, 
I'm just glad we're talking about it. And interacting with, you know, other moms at homeschool, whether we're at work, you know, yeah. we have to work with people that are heathens or, you know, you have to sell products or whatever it is. It's something we work with and intertwine with every single day. That's right. And it's so relevant, so right? It's very important to talk about. Amen. Couldn't agree and, more. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma uh, she's had her hand raised. I was going to say, ultimately, it's, um, it's the heart and God sees the heart. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, are you doing it out of fear? Do you continue? Would you... Would you condone or work with or whatnot in your profession out of the fear of losing money to provide for family? And then we can also be careful of, you know, not trusting the Lord in that, that he would bless that. Also, just, I think it boils down to the heart. And you're saying your conscience, is your, if your conscience is clear, is your motives pure as right. well? And as long as you don't contradict the clear, revealed will of God. As long as there's not a clear scripture that says you cannot sell tents to pagans. You know what I mean? If there was a, such a verse, then yes, we're all bound to the authority of scripture and we die on a hill like that. But because there's not, then there is, you know, kind of a gray area there, you know. And this is an impassionate subject. Yeah. Yes, Carlos. As Scott was speaking, I, I just couldn't help but think about the, the meat that was sacrificed. The idols. Yeah, I was thinking about that. That's yeah, that's right. The verse I yeah, Paul says, look, don't ask questions for conscience sake. Just eat it. You know, it's set before you, especially in the context of advancing the gospel. You know what I mean? I mean, I was in Africa, and I ate stuff that... <laughs> I didn't want to even know how they made it. <laughs> I was just like, I'll just eat it. And even that was hard. Yes, sir? I think for me personally, how I try to determine whether or not to partake or not partake in an activity is whether... I mean, partaking in it can be construed as endorsing it. Yeah. Because Romans one thirty two makes it clear that it's not just committing the act that is a sin, but also yeah. giving approval. That's right. That is also a sin and worthy of judgment. That's right. Direct approval, right? Like. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if I'm making a tent for someone, they take the tent, and then they go off and they go do some satanic. I mean, does what? Would, would a reasonable person look at that and say, well, Chris gave approval to that? You know, by that transaction, well, no, probably not. Right. It gets a little more harder to judge, like with the bakery thing, you know. Okay, yeah. so they bake a cake, or they got two guys that are the toppers, you know, and they put it there, and you know, they know so-and-so made the cake and that kind of thing. It gets yeah. into the, yeah. like what you said, the, the conscience, and then their conscience, obviously, they viewed that as yes. just by the act of making the cake for them and having it prominently displayed right. makes it appear that I am giving approval to this so well, therefore I cannot do this. Yeah, and, and it, it, boy, and there's so much, the contours there are so great. You know, a friend of mine, a very wealthy construction art, you know, he was a, uh, what's, what's it called? Uh, architect. And he had this multi-million dollar construction company. He's retired now. Great man. But he would not work for a certain employee. And what it was, it was a it was a uh, warehouse that they'd asked him to build and what they were going to store in the, in the warehouse was pornography. And he died on that hill and said, I can't do this job. No matter how many millions of dollars you're about to pay me, I just can't, you know? And I say, we must respect his conscience, you know? As much as we can say, well, you're not being the one distributing, you're not actually the one, you know, whatever the degrees of separation are at the end of the day, you know, so I think, you know, maybe to bring this particular point <laughs> to somewhat of, a, of, an, of an end for today, I would just emphasize love. You know what I mean? Christian love and, 
and being compassionate towards one another, right? I mean, the Shepherd's Conference is amazing. 5,000 pastors sitting there. And I think it was Todd Friel who asked, asked all of us, you know, uh, raise your hand. You know, there was, a, there was an architect who was in a position of, would you build a mosque or not? Would you use your architectural artistry to craft the minaret, I mean, everything? And, you know, the hands were divided, you know? I said, no, I can't build a mosque. <laughs> you know what I mean? But many of my brethren said, yes, I, I would. And many others said, it's a conscience issue. You know, the conscience guy's got, you know, that's the easy way out. <laughs> I took a stand, right? I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's my personal position. You know, that's my conscience. So, yeah. K-Dub, how much time do you need? Oh, not, not much. Just a couple minutes. Just a couple of minutes? Through. Yeah, yeah. Like 10? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 10 would be a lot. Yeah. Nothing's a couple minutes, Ryan. No, <laughs> no three, three to six. <laughs> How do you come up with that arbitrary number? <laughs> I don't know how I got bamboozled into this, but we, apparently we have a music video that we're shooting in here. In here? I love it. I love it. In the church, right? I love it. The last thing that I was going to talk about uh, for uh, male and female being created in the image of God is the importance of male leadership and the importance of male and female distinct roles in the Word of God. I mean, this is um, this is so important, you know what I mean? Because today, I mean, what we don't need, in light of everything we just talked about, culturally speaking, what we don't need is the breakdown of the husband, of the of the uh, the family. What we don't need is weak marriages. What we don't need is weak men, weak leaders in the home. What we don't need is rebellious wives that are trying to usurp their husband's authority. What we don't need, in other words, is to distort the family unit, unit according to God's word. That's the last thing that we need. If anything, now more than ever, we need robust, biblical, strong, faithful you know, families that will stand and be the difference and be the example to a culture that's completely lost its way. You know what I mean? And, and trust me, it will happen. It will be this, this trend, this, this spiral... Uh, this total moral collapse of Western civilization in this res moral respect will hit a point where they themselves will be so, uh, I, I just believe, I hope, I pray, that God will send some sort of awakening where people will awaken like the, the prodigal son. They will wake up and find themselves in the, in the, uh, in, in, in the, in the pig sty. And, and, and realize, what have we done? Where are we at? Five, five, hus five dads. You know, Susie's got you know, three fathers, four mommies. She doesn't even know who her real dad is or who artificially inseminated her. I mean, just unbelievable distortion. And I think we have hit. This is a, this is a different time, folks. I mean, I am the, the persuasion of that, that this is not just... You know, oh, you know, you're alarmist, you know. No, this is different. Remember, folks, in the, on the face of human history, I have a, I have a history set in my library. Uh, I think it's 11 volumes by Will Durant. It's the whole history of the human race, 12 volumes. Some of the finest history that you can read. Not one single page in all of those thousands of pages does Will Durant document a gay marriage. This is, this is happening in our time. 
This, this took place under our watch in our generation. So it is different. <laughs> this is not just like it's always been. You know what I mean? There is a, a slight difference here. So that's why I'm passionate that, you know, that uh, as husbands, we understand what our role is. In the church, we understand that the church is led under male leadership. We don't allow for egalitarianism, which is just as seductive today as anything else. I mean, I just read an article on the Christian Post with Barnabas Piper, John Piper's son. And I don't feel bad calling him out because he put his statements in public for all to read. Where they asked him, what do you think about women pastors, women leadership? He says, I'm still thinking about that. That's something I'm still mulling over. I'm thinking, your dad is John Piper. <laughs> he co-authored the book with Wayne Grudem, Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. If John Piper can't persuade you, the Christian Post is not going to persuade you. No one's going to persuade you. Unless, of course, you're waiting for the right time for the liberalism to persuade you. I mean, what could be behind a motive like that? Really, you have not come to a conclusion on that? You're still wrestling over that? I, I just... Do you understand it, Chris? I don't understand it. All right, let's get Cave Dub his... Um, I'm excited for you, man. We love K-Dub. You know? We love his rap. You know? I told him, I want to... You know, some Reformed churches, man, he, no. <laughs> It'd be too staunch. So you want to introduce, what, what, what are we doing? And can I be completely out of the equation? Maybe. No, we need as many people in the audience as possible. Let me pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll transition to this. So don't leave. I think we need you, right? Yeah. We need the audience. We need you guys. Yeah. Father, uh, we come before you now, and Lord, we, uh, in this brief little time, we've brought up some, some major topics, and Lord, these issues are of uh, dire importance. Help us to be equipped, help us to be knowledgeable what to do, how to respond biblically. I educate and inform each and every one of our consciences here with your word alone. Lord, let us be above all things faithful and biblical, and devoted to your revealed will, Lord. We want to do everything for your glory. We pray for our brother Chris here, K-Dub. We ask that you bless him. Thank you for the talents that you've given him. Thank you for the heart that you've given him. That we know that Chris is not like some of these contemporary artists that will sell out the Christian message for the sake of popularity or money. Protect him, Lord, against any any sort of allurement to compromise. Protect him. Give him a heart that is totally and fully committed to you, Father. I pray that he, he would be uh, like Caleb, that he followed you fully, fully followed you, Lord. And so give our brother this undivided devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this is just for a music video, song that Caleb made called The Church. Right? And it glorifies, it lifts up the church to have a high